Friends, the Elegant Excellence Journal is coming back in 2023, and I am so excited about the changes we have made for you this year. Some you have asked for for quite a while, and some you didn't even know to ask for, but I know you are going to love. So get on the waitlist today at elegantexcellencejournal.com, and I will put that link in the description below. If you aren't already one of our thousands of users over the years, the Elegant Excellence Journal is a guided journal you can use daily or less, that supports you in vision casting your life, setting and achieving your goals, learning more about yourself, and most importantly, being in regular conversation with yourself to self-coach, adjust, celebrate, process, and become more peaceful in your life and more proud of who you are and what you're making happen. So be the first to know in the new year when you get on the VIP list at the link below or elegantexcellencejournal.com. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, beautiful. Happy Wednesday and welcome back to our final part of our three-part series on decision-making, how we make choices, this thing that we do pretty much all day, every day, how we make better choices, how we feel about them. And today's inspiration came from a conversation with a girlfriend where she was trying to make a decision, as we all are, and filling in our friends, as we all do. Do you have any advice? Here's where I'm at. What are you thinking? What should I consider? So she asked my advice, and my reply was very based on data. It had to do with math and income and rent and cost of living and all these various factors about where you live, what job you're going to take, etc. And her other best friend came back with a completely different response energetically, which was just meditate and listen to your gut, the right answer is within you. And we were both cracking up at how disparate these two answers were, kind of on either side of the spectrum. But I also said, are they actually different? We frequently say, what does the data say? Or what does the research, you know, what do the facts say? And we also frequently say, What does your gut say? What are you feeling like you should do? What do you think you should do? Or what do you feel that you should do? And when we say gut, is it not based off of our experience? It's based off of, well, I've had this thing happen before, or I've seen this thing happen. This is feeling familiar. It's sort of like this one time. I've been down this road before. And isn't that just data? Isn't that just thoughts about past experiences and how you felt at those times, or your personality or your preference. It's knowing ourselves. When we say, like, turn in, the answers are within you. Isn't that because someone who knows themselves well has data on themselves? This is the way my personality is. This is what motivates and demotivates me. This is what really makes me anxious. This is what brings me safety and security. So isn't that just data points in our life that we have added up? As an Enneagram this, as an introvert extrovert, you know, that one time when I did this thing, this is how it worked out. And when we say data, we often will say the data can feel wrong. This will happen to me a lot in my business where 
I've looked at, you know, I've been on a big spreadsheet about Facebook ads with someone who's very smart on Facebook ads who had been running my ads at that point for years. And we were looking at it and we're like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like you kind of use that phrase that something's not adding up, even though we've got all of the numbers in. But something's not feeling right. I actually, uh, a while back after the midterms, I remember hearing Nate Silver, who's a famous pollster. He was on a podcast and he was talking about they did polling out of some little district in North Carolina or Kentucky or something. And the the spread of who was going to vote Democrat or Republican, whatever, was was really big. And he said that felt wrong to me. It felt wrong to me. It should have been a lot closer based on whether that county broke for Trump or Biden previously or something like that. And then he's like, but it turned out that it was right. The data actually was right. But this person who professionally lives in the data also has gut feelings that say, as they say in journalism, that doesn't pass the smell test. Something is a little bit off here. Something doesn't feel right. So your gut instinct, your gut can have data based off your life experience. And the data you find can also have gut instincts based off your life experience. So what do we really mean when we say those words? I think we mean that gut means you. You're tuning into yourself. And data means outside. And data, therefore, can sound cold and calculated. It has to do with math and numbers and cold, hard facts. But isn't data also wisdom, which feels like an inside us thing to look at? It's the wisdom that we have of seeing, oh, the experience of someone who's done this. I've read articles of other people who've done this, or the likelihood that others have found in research and in study. And it's ultimately adding up to wisdom which we now feel in our gut inside of us. And then gut can sound sort of woo-woo. And like, oh, just listen to your gut. Like, oh, it's not based on anything. Just go with your feelings. No, don't follow your feelings. Like, we got to be realistic about what's this going to cost and how much time is it going to take. But isn't that gut, again, from your lived experience, which is paying attention to your experience in the outside world. Your gut instinct is coming from whether or not something made you income in the past. And the reason we care about income is it lives in the outside world. That got you pushback online or you're afraid you might be criticized. That's what your gut is saying, but it has to do with what people are going to say about the fact that you are leaving your marriage or having or not having another child. And it got me thinking that maybe we instinctively default to one or the other because that's what feels safe to us in this scenario. So to my friend's friend, her gut felt safe. She said, trust yourself. You know the answer. You know what's right for you. And I totally agree with her. I think that my friend does know what's right for her. I think she can trust her gut. And to me, in this scenario, the data felt safe. What are the housing prices there? What's your runway to find a job there? What are those elements that are going into it? And I agree with myself that we want to look at that when making a decision to move or in our business. We don't just want to go with what is your gut feeling like, but what are the numbers on that revenue stream? What's the data that's bringing us there? And the truth is both gut and data can be a lie or can lead us astray. So often, neither one of them is safe because our gut can be based on fears. I think a lot of times our gut instinct is based on fear. 
that we are so afraid to make a wrong call, to be judged, to regret, that there's a lot of anxiety and fear that is wrapped around that decision. It can be hard to separate out and say, am I definitely coming from a place of love, hope, abundance, enough, faith, rather than fear? It can be based on old stories, on unreliable narrators. You know, you're you're telling yourself back some story that you don't really remember all the details of, or you're making assumptions. You don't even realize that you're making assumptions. You don't even realize you have a story about that and that maybe it is outdated. And similarly, data can be based on unrelated factors. You know, there's so many variables. If you actually look at a scientific study, there's so many things they have to have control groups for and different things in order for the data to actually be accurate and to to pass the medical boards and all of that. Data can have biases and angles. It can have an opinion that made you phrase the question a certain way or only look for, you know, your Google search can already have a bias to it. If you're looking for data to support something, you are more likely to find on an internet search data that supports you or your eye is going to go to finding that data that supports you. So in the same way that last week we said, We want to be safe in our decisions. We want to have no regret, no worries, just be so clear and confident. And so we want to believe that either our gut or our data will tell us the right answer, will make, in essence, the decision for us. And sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And we have to choose anyways. As we talked about last week, sometimes it can seem a little bit in this column, a little bit in that column, and yet we're at the point where we need to make a decision and we have to own making that decision without the true piece of safety that we can absolutely know for sure. We have made the right decision and we're not going to cause any chaos or pain because of it. And as we even look back to the first episode about providence and fate and God and destiny, we cannot absolutely know for sure what is around every turn and what the best path is. So when someone gives us advice that is based on gut or data, what they are trying to do is give advice that they think would be most safe, what would feel most safe to them, where their inclination would be to go to if this was them. If they're a good friend, that's what they're doing. They're saying, if I was in your shoes, here's what I would do. And they are trying, when this is their shoes, to make the safest decision for them. So they are helping you to do the same. And that's ultimately what you are desiring is this safety. And so we use our gut or we use our data. And those are two of the tools that we can use to make the decisions. But as we've talked about in the last two weeks, we also can use humility in fate and providence to create a little more ease, a little more hope and possibility, a little more release that we're going to make the best decision that we can, but maybe there's going to be an extra little wink on the end that we couldn't even have planned for because the universe has something better. We use our hope in God and magic that maybe for you that is prayer or maybe that for you is just saying, I believe there's going to be that little sparkle on the end. And even if it doesn't work out right now, that down the road, I'm going to look back and see that actually was the best path 
for my best and greatest good. We use joy in seeing the clear pros, that we are so grateful anytime we have a decision where the pros really outweigh the cons. And then we even work to seek out joy, as we shared last week, when there's so many pros on either side and it almost feels like a loss to have to walk away from one of those pros. But if we can focus on the joy of how blessed we are with the abundance of multiple pro-filled opportunities, then we can make that decision with a little bit more joy that there is good things on either side of the decision that we make. And we can use honesty in accepting that there are going to be the pros that we will win and there will also be losses either way. And we can be honest about that and not try to fight against that. And when the decision works out, we celebrate. We are so grateful when we make a decision. We're like, oh, I feel so good about that. Like in the first episode, I talked about uh, adopting little Freddie Cappuccino, our new kitten. And I wasn't sure. I really said to Jeremy when he brought him home, which I didn't talk about in that episode, I said, I don't know that this is our forever cat, but like we can try it for a bit. Like maybe we're going to try it for a month or three months and be like, I don't think it's right. And then we're going to give it back to our friends and trust they will be able to find a new home. You know, maybe we're going to have it for a year. We think we're about a year out from getting a dog. Maybe we'll have this cat for a year just to tide us over, but two animals is going to be too much. Like it'll just be a transition season. Instead, I think we're safe to say we're pretty in love with this cat and it is working out. It was a good decision. And when it doesn't work out, we learn from it. We reflect on it. This is so much of what we want to do in our work in the Elegant Excellence Journal, for example, is to reflect on, okay, what did I learn from that? What can I take going forward? What new wisdom do I have? What new data do I have? What new gut instincts do I have because I have learned from this? Or as we also discussed, a lot of times we give ourselves grace that there's no way we could have known that that was not going to go well. There were no warning signs to think that that person would drop the ball, that the ground would fall out, that that betrayal would happen, that the company would go belly up. There, There wasn't anything to look at. And so we give ourselves grace. And either way, we know it won't always work out or it won't always not work out. It is always going to be some of both. Some of the decisions that we make are going to be amazing and we are going to be so proud of them and we should be. We should celebrate that and remind ourselves and prove to ourselves we make good decisions. We are good at decision making. We should shore up that confidence in ourselves. I look at the data. I look at the gut. I I weigh the pros and cons. I'm willing to accept when I have to walk away from some pros to get better or more, more pros over here. I also trust God and the universe or I believe in providence or magic. I believe I have the humility that I do not know all of the answers. I can't see around every corner. We had all of that up together to give ourselves the hope and the confidence that brings a lightness to these decisions that we are making, even when they are really heavy. And when they don't work out, we look to either learn from them so that we have more confidence again to move forward, or we give ourselves grace that we couldn't have known. We don't carry around the shame and the weight and the baggage of that. And I have done that for so many years. There have been certain things in my life where I just, I allowed it to build up the story you are not good at this. You always make mistakes in this. How did you make another mistake in this? And when that happens, it is so hard 
to really be able to separate out, okay, maybe I did make some mistakes years ago when I didn't know as much, and maybe I learned from those, and maybe this situation still didn't go well because this was not a you made a bad call or you weren't wise enough or smart enough or whatever, but it's just a there was no way you could have seen that wasn't going to work out. And this has really been coming up in my life lately in a certain area that I keep coming back to of feeling like, gosh, why does what feels like I keep making mistakes in this area? And I've had to parse out through all of these different angles. No, no, there's there's some growth there. And even in the growth part, there's the grace. You were a new entrepreneur. You didn't know what you were doing back then. You got to give that girl so much grace. Oh my gosh, she was so young. She was so green. And then in that new season, oh my gosh, you were at that new level. Look at how you were really, you were exerting such wisdom, such humility. You were doing all the quote, right things. It just didn't work out. You got to give yourself grace. This new situation, this actually isn't related to those. It feels like it is because you're looping it into the same this whole story. But actually, this is an isolated thing. And again, you couldn't have known you made the wisest choice at the time. And if you could revert back there, you'll, you'll remember there wasn't really a plan B you were tr- deciding between. Or if there was, it was really clear that it was A. Or if it wasn't, if it was 5149, then you give yourself the grace to say, I mean, it was a coin toss. I just had to flip a coin. What was I going to do? Just not make a decision and sit with it? We are always going to make some decisions we are thrilled with, proud of, that totally work out, and we are always going to have some that don't. And I think so much for me is wanting to try to avoid any regret. And yet when I think about it, there really are few decisions we can make that are truly wrong and that truly change the course of our lives. And we can absolutely know for sure that we are worse for them. But that feels rare, right? I've had multiple friends declare bankruptcy as entrepreneurs and then go on to rebuild successful businesses. Each one of them had multiple children at the time. So devastating to think that you've made these wrong decisions, but they were able to rebound. I know another entrepreneur that was up to $500,000 in debt due to some gambling addictions by their partner. And they were able to rebuild out of that, have gone on to build a multi-million dollar business. So we have so many examples. The majority of our examples say that even when we make wrong decisions that lead to a lot of pain, we seem by and large to be quite resilient. And so many of our choices before us are quite the opposite. They have so many pros. They have so much less likelihood of truly leading to any painful, meaningful destruction. Might I be a little happier in this house or a little have a little bit more money if we'd sold at this time in the market, but ultimately when all of that washes out, our life was still ultimately pretty fine. There's so many pros and even the cons. You know, if you remember back in the first episode where I got sick and it wasn't a choice, but it was so frustrating at the time and I I, I, it really is what tipped me into burnout, that I felt like, okay, I'd gone through this grief of the summer. I was going to be okay heading into the fall. And truly losing that week, I didn't really talk about this in the first episode, but truly losing that week, it was huge. <laughs> like it was such a gut punch. It was kind of like the last straw I really couldn't handle. And yet that brought me our magical kitten who will be part of our family for the next two decades. And so the cons can be pros if you wait it out a little bit. And 
So I guess for me, this series has been to say that I am working on and growing in having more peace with complicated choices, feeling less anxious about them, living with them more, accepting them, separating them from the old stories, giving myself more grace both then and now, finding the silver linings and the hope that I can't absolutely know for sure that it won't be great either choice that I make, or that the tough spots won't get better, that the things that are so hard right now and that feel excruciating, just like the gut punch in August of getting sick and then the the win of Freddie in October, that was such a short window, but it might be three years for some of the things in my life before I look back and say, I think that actually happened for the best. I think that actually happened for me and not to me. And that from that place of hope and trust, it makes it a lot easier to take leaps and look for the best along the way, which tends to mean that we will find it. If we are terrified of the wrong thing happening, we're going to be bracing all along the way. And the more that we can remind ourselves to come back to this faith and hope and trust and looking at the pros and believing that the gut and the data and all of it is working in our favor and all of it is adding up to give us wisdom and support us on this path, then we're going to feel a little lighter when we say, I don't know what the right answer is, but it feels like it's time to decide. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is eyebrow lamination. So a handful of years ago, let's go back like, I don't know, five years ago, um, what did we have to do our eyebrows with? We had pencils. Pencils was the only option. I guess you could probably get hair transplants if you were crazy into it, but basically we had pencils. So that's what we were all doing. We were penciling on our eyebrows if we were doing anything. And then microblading came along. And I heard this buzzword. It was like, ooh, microblading. I should do that. So I have, at the time I had a sweet little assistant named Kylie. She was like 21. And I asked her to book this appointment. She's like, just to clarify, you know that it's a tattoo, right? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, yeah, they tattoo it on. And I was like, no, I had not looked into this. I don't know what I thought microblading was, but it never occurred to me that somebody was like making little slices on my face. Like this is terrifying. So I put it off for like a year, but I still kept paying attention. And it's so interesting when we get fixated on a beauty trend, because I, I am not particularly into trends. I don't really like change things up that much. I just don't pay attention. And I'm like to be pretty classic and whatever. But you start to notice bit by bit, it's like we got this new thing that we could fix. Like before we had Botox, everybody just had forehead wrinkles. I mean, a serum can only do so much. Once we came up with Botox, now it's an option to not have as many wrinkles on your forehead. Before microneedling, you had a pencil, that was all you had. There just wasn't an option. And now it was like, I'm noticing, oh my gosh, every celebrity has these great eyebrows. And I also remember years ago, a makeup artist had said to me, I feel like eyebrows are the frame to the face. And it's like once she said that, suddenly I was like, oh, I feel like I should care about eyebrows. And before I just really didn't. Like they were fine. They weren't my like, you know, favorite feature, but I wasn't insecure about them. I just really didn't think about them. And it's so fascinating how all it takes is one person making a comment that you deem as a professional or you respect their opinion in some way that you're like, hmm, thinking about it. And then one technology to come out that kind of changes the game a little bit in beauty. 
And so I kept thinking about it over the next year. I was terrified. I would ask so many people, did it hurt? Like I was constantly asking for recommendations. Have you gone to someone? How painful was it? So we get to right before our wedding, this now was like four years ago, and I tell Jeremy that I'm thinking of getting it. And he's like, so what you're saying is you're going to get a face tattoo right before our wedding. And I was like, yeah, that is a really wild sentence that I'm saying. Yeah, thank you for reflecting that back. That is, you know, and I was I was like justifying it, but I was thinking, what if it went wrong and I can't fix it? And I really had to like reconcile for myself, your eyebrows are not atrocious. Like, is this really, I mean, gosh, back to this whole conversation on decision making, you're really having to weigh the pros and cons. Pro, your eyebrows might look amazing. Con, your eyebrows might look cray. And how will they look if you don't do this? Eh, pretty good. Like, all right, if if one option is cray and one option is pretty good, then we'll just, we'll stick with pretty good. So didn't do that. And then I started seeing people were sharing about eyebrow lamination and some of them were doing it at home, whatever. I didn't really get what it was. And at this point, I think I just wasn't as fixated. Like sometimes also it's interesting to note, we sort of go through, oh gosh, everyone's obsessed with this thing. And then you kind of just get over the, oh, now it's not the new thing. Now I've just sort of forgotten. I've moved on with my life. I'm thinking about something else. And so anyways, realized it was in my neighborhood, decided to try it. And I freaking love it. Basically, it is like a perm for your eyebrows, which sounds wild because if you are a child of the 90s, when I think perm, I think of my friend Kelly, who was in my dance troupe, national champions, by the way, uh, acapella tap trio. She had uh, half white, half Asian, straight, long black hair, beautiful, stick straight. And then her bangs were a mass of teeny tiny little curls So because they were permed. That's what I think of as a perm that it makes it curly. Obviously, that doesn't happen to your eyebrows. I think it's just that it plumps them, and then you do a tint, which also darkens them. And so in essence, you're just doing what you do with the pencil, where you're just filling in the sparse spots. You're just making them look a little more like robust overall. Point is, I wake up, and I look like I've already done my eyebrows. And now it's kind of the back and forth, back to decisions, of what I don't love about it is it only lasts for like a month. So it kind of feels like a lot to go. And in the vein of always wanting to heal my burnout and do less, an appointment is an appointment. Like it's the time to take the appointment, remember all week, like add the appointment to your calendar, remember that you have the appointment. The appointment itself takes an hour. It is only like a 15 minute walk for me, but still all told, it's probably coming in at two hours. That is substantive. Does it take me two hours throughout a month to do my eyebrows? No. So if, if, we're, if we're back to like weigh in pros and cons and gut and data and all the ways we make decisions, from a time perspective, it doesn't really make sense. But from a confidence and feeling beautiful perspective, the idea that I just roll out of bed, I put my serums on my face, tinted moisturizer, and I'm done as opposed to the next thing I would do would sort of be my eyebrows. They're going to last all day. Like I really do love it. I don't do it all the time, but after quarantine, I really, I stopped doing my nails. I stopped getting pedicures. I used to hate the time that it took me to go do that. And I guess at the time I was really into having painted nails. I guess we also just go through cycles. I'm sure there's obviously women that are still painting their nails, but I just don't feel like it is as much of a focus in beauty these days. There's people that have like nail art. That's not my thing. So now actually, I think also at the time I was taking more blogger photos when I like thought I was a style blogger. So I was in these outfit shoots and it felt like the nails were really important. 
now I'm not doing detail shots of my arm party, you know, 29 bracelet stacks, so my nails are less important. So in some ways, maybe it's like you sort of flip. If I was still doing manicures and pedicures and facials and haircuts and Botox and eyebrows, and like if you had all the things, you can start to be like, how many hours am I spending to feel beautiful? And how many hours do I need to not feel burnt out? So where is the balance in that? But I would say overall, in terms of my burnout, we're talking, this is this is not the real factor. So again, when we talk about decisions, you're like, weighing whether or not to get my eyebrows laminated is not the answer, my friend. Like my taking two hours once a month to do that, which I don't even, I like forget. And then I go back a couple months later and I come home to Jeremy and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love my eyebrows. This is so easy. Why don't I do this all the time? And then I get busy and I don't go back. But ultimately, I am team whatever makes you feel beautiful and team whatever makes you not burnt out and team whatever makes you feel better about your choices. And with that, my dear, I will leave you for today and I will see you right back here next Wednesday. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday. 